Well, what does it feel like to be a Christian, to be a member of a church in London in 2018? Day to day, week to week, coming to church on Sundays, as you walk down the street, as you listen to the radio, as you watch the TV. If you even take time to think about it at all, what does it feel like to be a Christian? It often feels weak, doesn't it? Feels unimportant in the grand scale of things. We can very easily feel insignificant. The world bustles along and barely cares about Jesus. Where is the money? Where is the power? Where is the prestige? Well, it's not in the church, is it? Imagine a hundred years ago walking down the street in London. What was the tallest building on the skyline? St. Paul's Cathedral. So you'd look up and you'd see a cross, a sign of Jesus Christ. Now, well, it's the shard, isn't it? The cheese grater, the gherkin, the walkie-talkie, other ridiculously named buildings. What are they monuments to? Well, if anything, capitalism. Now, I'm not saying we want to go back to, you know, the way that things were necessarily in the church 100 years ago or 500 years ago. There was institutionalism and there was corruption within the church um, in the earlier centuries and all sorts of things that weren't great. But we look around our country and all the statistics, I rechecked um, all of this last night, church attendance figures in the UK continue to fall. Weekly church attendance now, uh, five years ago, um, I looked it up, it was about 8%. Um, Now it's about 5% on average on a Sunday in church in the UK. And look at us. Look around. Actually, we're slightly fuller this week than sometimes. And we've got quite a nice building. Um, But this building can seat, well, we know about 400 people. Because that's how many people there were at the Grenfell Memorial Service. How many are there this morning? I haven't counted. Maybe sort of 60 or so of us. The population of our parish, just our parish, is somewhere around 6,500 people. 6,500. How many of those are in, and obviously some go to other churches and that's great, but how many are in a church at all this morning? Not many. Where are the halls of worship that people prefer on a Sunday morning? Well, um, Westfield, Regent Street. Primark on Oxford Street, anywhere that serves brunch. And it doesn't look like it's about to change. Uh, So research quoted in the book Everyday Church found that 70% of people in the UK, 70% of people in our nation, quote, have no intention of attending a church service at any point in the future. So if North Kensington is representative, then 70% of the people in our parish have no intention of attending a church service at all at any point in the future. Now, I don't know about you, but as I hear statistics like that, I feel weak. As I was looking at the different um, websites last night, the government's population statistics, um, church statistics, church attendance statistics, I felt weak. You know, there's that sense of Is this all just a waste of time? Are we just a little dying club? Is it all just going to go away into nothingness? And the letter to the Ephesians is a letter to a church that would have felt 
something of that. The letter is to church, uh, Christians in the church in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and to the churches in the region surrounding it. And Ephesus, like London, was one of the largest cities in its region. So in the region of Asia during Roman times, uh, Ephesus had a population of around 150 to 200,000, which was huge for them. And it was the economic focus of the whole region. So Ephesus was incredibly significant. And it was also a big focus of spiritual activity in the region, but I don't mean Christian. So magical activity was particularly focused in Ephesus. There was a particular thing called the Ephesian Grammata, a set of magical letters which, if you had them, if you knew them, granted you great power. So there's a story um, of a wrestler um, wrestling in the games um, who defeated his opponent easily seven times, and then... The Ephesian Gramata were discovered on his ankle, and they were removed, and then he was defeated by his opponent, you know, many times. Now, we have no way of knowing whether or not that was true, but there was this great belief in magic in Ephesus in these days, which may explain, and turn back to me, uh, turn back with me for a second to um, Acts 19, may explain some of the slightly unusual things we see about Ephesus. So we get this very strange word, so it's page 1115 if you are turning back. Um, So verse 11, we get this strange phrase, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And that's the only time we get that in the Bible, extraordinary miracles. And you think, that's a bit strange. You know, if I saw any miracle, I'd think it's extraordinary. Why extraordinary miracles here in Ephesus? And perhaps because it was such a centre of magical power already that people needed something more to see what was going on. And then we get this curious incident in verse 13 to 16 with um, the the guys trying to cast out the spirit and it all goes slightly wrong and they get beaten up. And then we get this thing where, well actually when they hear about that, lots of people who were within the church but still holding on to their old magical practices come together and it says a number of them burnt their scrolls and the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Uh, now, the footnote um, says a drachma was a silver coin worth about a day's wages. So uh, the um, uh, minimum wage uh, today um, is £7.83. Times that by 8, times that by 50,000, comes to £3,132,000. So on a rough estimate, that's the value of what they burned on that day. And it doesn't say loads of them, it says a number of them did. That's how valuable these magical things were. Well, up until there, it looks like things are going really well in Ephesus, doesn't it? Um, People are in awe at the name of Jesus. People are turning to him. But then, verse 23, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The way was what they called um, Christianity in those days. Because another thing about Ephesus was it was the site of the great temple of Diana, also known as the temple of Artemis. And if you visited Paul, uh, Ephesus in Paul's day, you wouldn't have been able to miss it. So it was destroyed and rebuilt several times. And the last and greatest form of the temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, Antipater of Sidon, who wrote that list, describes it like this. I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots. And the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, and the hanging gardens, and the colossus of the sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, and the vast tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, 
those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. And so imagine being a Christian in Ephesus, going about your daily business, already feeling small and weak, because there's only a few of you. And then you look up, and you see this huge temple that dominates the skyline. And not only the skyline, but everything, the feast days and festivals of the city, the rites and the rituals, even the economy, dominated by the worship of Diana. And it goes on in Acts 19, and we see that there's this huge riot against the Christians, because so many people are turning away from Diana, that they, they have this riot, and for two hours they chant uninterrupted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, two hours non-stop, deliberately to try to intimidate the Christians. So imagine being a Christian in the shadow of that temple. Perhaps you'd lost your job because of your faith. Perhaps rejected by your family. Perhaps ostracized by your friends. Meeting up with the other Christians in the week for your little gatherings in their little homes. And then looking up again and seeing this representation of what really dominates the city. And so Paul writes to them and he says, no. Do not trust your physical eyes. You need to see with the eyes of faith. You need spiritual sight. He writes to them to say, you are not weak. You are not insignificant. In Christ, you are more blessed than you could possibly imagine. In Christ, you are more significant than you could ever have dreamed. And he says the same to us today. So as we read again, uh, chapter 1, so flicking back to Ephesians, I've lost it. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have no need to feel weak, Ephesians. You have no need to feel insignificant. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, that doesn't mean every spiritual gift. People have different spiritual gifts. But it means that we have everything listed in verses 4 to 14. Say so verse 3, praise be. Why? Verse 4, because God did all these things. And he goes through and he says, we've been chosen in Christ. We've been predestined in Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased by Christ. We've been forgiven our sins through Christ. We are now able to know the will of God purposed in Christ. We were marked with the Holy Spirit when we believed in Christ. And then we will be called into glory with Christ. What a list. In Christ, we are more blessed than we could possibly imagine. Well, that's probably too quick to kind of feel it. So let's go through a little bit more slowly and think about what it means God did for us. Um, I'm going to pick on Lenny because it's her first Sunday, so I'm going to say these sort of as, as to Lenny Legister. So what does it mean? Chapter 1, verse 4. God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That means that before the foundation of the world, God said... I want Lenny Legister to be a part of my church. Before he even made the universe, 
if you're a Christian, God said, I want you, by name, you are going to be a member of my church. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And don't take sonship as an exclusively male thing. What that means is in Roman times, that was the one who inherited. So whether male or female, if you are in Christ, you have sonship. God said, Lenny is going to be adopted into sonship with my son Jesus. She is going to be an heir, an inheritor of my kingdom with Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God said, Lenny is going to benefit from the death, from the blood of my son Jesus. She will be redeemed. She will be purchased by that blood. And she will be forgiven by that blood. And he is going to make known that plan to us. Verses 9 and 10, we're going to come back to that. Uh, Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now that bit is probably actually Paul talking about the Jews, the way he says the we there, he means the Jews, we, which is why he says verse 13, because he's speaking to Gentiles here, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. Now, um, I don't think that Lenny has any Jewish heritage. No, I'm Greek, Cypriot, and Jamaican, but not Jewish. Um, And so God said, Lenny is going to be included in Christ when she hears the message of salvation through the Lord Jesus. And the same for each of us. If we have heard the message of salvation, God ordained that from before the foundation of the world in love through his son, Jesus Christ. And when Lenny believed, verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? The promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Past, predestined, chosen in Christ. Present, believing, redeemed, forgiven. Future, Included in glory when the Lord Jesus returns. If you are in Christ, if you have put your trust in Christ, all of those things are true of you as well. You are more blessed than you could possibly imagine. Well, a moment just to see, just to be really clear why these blessings belong to those of us who are in Christ when reading an epistle, it's one of the best ways to find out the emphasis is to look for repeated thoughts and ideas. Now, this is my, my prep sheet. Um, when it comes to my first bit of my prep um, on a Bible pastor, I like to go old school. Um, so as long as it's not sort of two chapters of the Old Testament, I write it all out by hand. And then I've gone through and I've circled the repeated phrases of different things. So green square, red square, blue square, and then you run out and you have to go green circle, red circle, and you have to go, oh, I need a different colour pen. Um, but what really, that's really helpful for is showing what is said a lot. So we get three mentions of glory, okay, that's a few, four mentions of praise, more, four mentions of God's will, all of those significant, we'll come back to those. 14 verses, 16 mentions of Jesus. 10 of those, explicit, Jesus or Jesus Christ, Five, him or his, referring to Jesus. One reference in verse six to the one who God loves. Obviously there, it is Jesus. 
But 12 times also we get this particular phrase, in Christ. Uh, Or one time it's through Christ. But 12 times this phrase, in Christ. So uh, go through with me, have a look at these. Um, We see it in verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, we've given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him. Verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, God has given us his grace in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Uh, Verse 10, under Christ. Um, The Greek is still in. Um, NIV is translated it under for good reason. We'll come back to that. Um, Verse 11, in. Uh, Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ. Verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ. Oh, 2 in verse 13. Verse 13, in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What that means is, the good news of that is, if you are in Christ, you have these blessings. They are yours now. So chapter 1 verse 3, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's present tense. He has blessed us with these blessings in Christ The only thing we are waiting for is to receive them, is to see them with our physical eyes when the Lord Jesus comes again. It's like the presents have been bought. They've got our name on. They're under the tree. It's not Christmas yet, but Christmas is coming. And this is such good news because it means that receiving these blessings is not about our performance That doesn't mean that on a good day we need to feel more blessed or on a bad day we feel less blessed. It is all by grace, through faith. We just have to say yes. Now we do have to be in Christ, not in anything or anyone else. So if you're in Allah, well you're not in Christ. If you're in Vishnu or Shiva or Brahma, then well you're not in Christ. If you're on Buddha, you're not in Christ. If you're in the world, seeking after finding your meaning and pursuing the things of the world, then you're not in Christ. Because these blessings don't come to us directly. They, become, they come because we inherit with Christ. He inherits the blessings. And if we are in him, we inherit the blessings too. And anyone can come in. That is the good news. Anyone can come in. Anyone can be in Christ. There's nothing we have to earn or achieve. It is all by faith, by grace, through faith. Well, why has God done it this way? Well, one of those other repeated phrases, uh, verse 6, to the praise of his glory. Uh, Verse 12, uh, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. It is this way, so it might be clear that there's no place for pride in us. You know, it's not that we sit here and we say, oh, we are so blessed, and all those people are out there aren't. Look at us, well done us, kind of smug, proud little group. It is that we should wonder that God has given us these blessings. It is completely clear that he has done it, and we are not. So remember this week, if your Christianity feels weak, if you feel insignificant, remember this week as you look out at all that the world considers strong, 
and all that the world praises and respects and honours, which is not the Lord Jesus. And remember this week that even here, not many of us here, small and weak and insignificant as we may seem, we are a part of something bigger, something so much better than what we see around us. Because what we have here is a foretaste of God's plan to unite all things in Christ. So verse 10, and we're going to come back to this verse again and again in the book. I don't know if you ever wonder, you know, what is the purpose of life? What is God's plan for the whole of the world? Well, it's there in verse 10. Uh, chapter 1, I read from verse 9 actually. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What is that plan? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And therefore, if you are in Christ now, the church is like a prototype, already united, of what God wants to do for the whole of the universe, the whole of his creation. The church, we should be able to look at the church now and say, ah, there is a surprising unity in the church already. And that is what God is going to do for the whole of his creation. As I say, we'll come back to that idea again and again. But for today, as you go away, think, if I'm in Christ, then I'm a part of God's plan. As you walk home from church, think this, I am blessed in Christ through God's plan. As you struggle with the kids over lunch or at bedtime, I'm blessed in Christ through God's plan. As you walk to work tomorrow morning, I am blessed in Christ through God's plan. As you watch TV, as you read the paper, as you listen to the news, as you hear the world talk about what the world thinks is important, where the world thinks blessing comes from, remember, I am blessed in Christ through God's plan. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the true son. He is the true heir. Through his blood, shed at the cross, we can be, we have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. When we believe, we were marked with the promised Holy Spirit so that that inheritance is guaranteed when he returns. And so this week, when we feel weak in our faith, when we feel insignificant, help us to remember we are blessed in Christ through your plan. And we pray that in Jesus' name, to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.